Welcome to the Consulting Pipeline Podcast. I got a pretty great question from someone on my list, a a member of my list named Ryan. Uh, This question came in last summer. (laughs) I'm just now getting around to uh, publishing a recording of my answer to the question, which Ryan gave me permission to publish. It's a question about case studies. And what I'm going to do is read Ryan's question for you and then play for you my response, which has some thoughts on it that I think are are generally applicable to case studies in general. So it's not just specific to Ryan's question. Okay, here's Ryan's question. Hi, Philip. Wondering if you have any advice about this you are willing to share. First, some quick background. I started as a web developer, and I'm still doing that, but I'm trying to bring more of a focus on marketing, increasing leads, lead nurturing, etc. I'm trying to create two case studies on two of my clients, but I'm struggling with how to present them with quantifiable ROI for future prospects. You know, things that are more framed around my current offering, like increased revenue by X percentage, or an X percent increase in leads, or X number of more closed sales. Case study one, I've worked with this client for six plus years as a web developer, no marketing other than their occasional asking for my input and implementing requested changes from their marketing department. I do have access to their site analytics. They would likely share other numbers that I don't have access to if asked. How could I frame this case study as me providing a solid ROI? Case study two. I've started with this client when they first opened business five years ago. I provide web development and digital marketing. The business has grown substantially, but we started from a baseline of zero as opposed to an established business that might be starting with baseline numbers higher than zero. What is the best way to show quantifiable increases or return on investment that are realistic and not overly inflated? So that's Ryan's question. Here's my answer. Um, Great question. I'm always looking for, in case studies, that ideal balance between um, 100% credibility and truthfulness. I mean, if, if I can interrupt myself, you're fighting kind of an uphill battle with a case study in that everybody kind of knows that case studies are cherry-picked. Like, nobody does a case study of how we failed. Or (laughs) you do see those things mostly on Medium when someone starts a startup and it doesn't work. And and then when they're really sure it's not going to work, that's when they'll write the postmortem about why it didn't work. So, I mean, but really nobody does that with case studies. They're all cherry-picked. Everybody knows that. And I think, I mean, I would really love, honestly, to uh, interview buyers about how they perceive case studies. They are, you know, if if you look at these sort of surveys of the world of content marketing and these surveys that are designed to elucidate how it is that buyers make decisions and so forth, you will see um, case studies listed as something that you know, buyers think about and evaluate. And so it's not that they're all universally considered 
bullshit and ignored. But I just can't believe that there are any buyers out there who don't see uh, have to apply a sort of filter when they're reading a case study. And so I think they are looking for things that seem implausible or not credible or obviously cherry-picked or obviously um, some kind of uh, you know usage of numbers or data to paint a misleading picture. I mean, we're all so soaked and immersed in marketing pretty much at all times <laughs> these days that I think it's impossible for someone to not sort of pick up some just even even if they're not even trying to or thinking about it, I think we all pick up some sort of uh, filters or defense mechanisms against BS. So that's why I, I really strive with case studies to make sure they are based in you know in fact and not trying to be um, persuasive at the expense of of truthfulness. Also, um, yeah, so, yeah, there's that. That's that's what the sort of one thing in terms of context I wanted to get out there. Um, they need to be based in fact. I guess the other thing they need to do, the other thing you're trying to balance, is that they do need to, I think they need to do two things to be a successful case study. So three things. They need to be based in fact. They need to not, not emit a stench of BS. And then they also need to um, illustrate or demonstrate or really cast light on how it is, well, two things, what was the beneficial outcome and how is it that the product or service in question achieved that beneficial outcome. So th I first heard the following from my friend and colleague Jonathan Stark, and he just sort of casually mentioned and uh, I'm not sure I'd heard this anywhere else because my world is, for, for many years anyway, was written content marketing. But he, he said the best case studies are ones that you deliver verbally while you're ha in, in, in the context of having a conversation with a prospect. So instead of saying, hey, let me send you over some case studies to help you, you know, whatever – and then you link them to some PDFs of some, you know, artfully designed and laid out documents, which tons of people do that. And I'm not convinced it's the best way to do that, but tons of people do do it. Anyway, um, instead of doing that, what Jonathan was suggesting, and, and I really agree, is you should be able to look a client in the eye and say, and sort of tell them the story that is the case study that we're talking about. In a, in, you know, without having to struggle to remember details, without it being a 15-minute thing, it's more like a 90-second thing. <laughs> um, and you do that in the context of a conversation, I think it's actually more persuasive. Now, that's not to say that you may not also have a written version of the case study. But the story that your case studies tells should be so simple that you could express the whole story from beginning to end, at least a, a sort of high-level summarized version of it in, let's say, 90 seconds of you 
having the floor in a meeting and just being able to talk without interruption. So that translates into being able to say something like, you know, yeah, I had a client with a very similar situation and what was similar about it was the problem they were facing. So they also had this website they'd just spent tens of thousands of dollars on and it just was not doing what they needed to. It wasn't moving the needle at all. So, you know, we, we did some diagnostic work, which involved taking a really deep look at the website stats and then also some market research and, you know, the market research kind of looked like this. We, we interviewed 10 of their best customers and 10 customers who just left them for some other company. And, and we kind of surveyed what their competition was doing. And, you know, they had some insider information that competitor B was really actually doing a great job with, with their website. And so we really paid particular attention to competitor B. And so we took all that and then we, you know, we came back with some, a list of changes and prioritized the changes and, and in, term, in terms of looking at the changes, we were really looking for things that we had a high degree of confidence of actually making a difference. Implemented those changes. That took about six weeks. Uh, that was, you know, uh, what they spent on that. I don't remember exactly, but it took about six weeks to get that done. And when it was done, we, we observed the following changes. Um, it took about two months, but website traffic started, you know, ratcheting up by uh, 20% month over month. And Yada, yada. So you get the picture. Like that's me, me just doing a quick impromptu made-up example of how you might, you know, use a sort of story structure, a very simple story structure of this was a problem, this is what we did, this is how that unfolded into real-world uh, results. Use that very simple structure to tell the, the case study. And, you know, I, I wasn't running a timer, but <laughs> it felt like about 90 seconds. Maybe it took longer. So what I would suggest in your case, you're doing a bit of a, um, a transition in your business, started as a web developer, and now you're trying to be more of a focus to marketing and po- focus on those things, those metrics that clients really can easily measure, like increasing leads, nurturing leads better, et cetera. So I think you just say, well, this is what I did, and then you, you – you really are careful to call out, I want to say the caveats, but you don't want to sort of take the wind out of the sails of your case study by saying, well, this is probably not applicable, but here's what I did. So not that strongly worded a caveat. But, um, you know, you had that six-year stint as a web developer with a client uh, where you didn't really do any marketing. So... I think it's a bit of a stretch, honestly, to frame that particular case study as you providing a ROI in under the umbrella of marketing because really you were doing – it sounds like you were doing more uh, design, development, and operations stuff than actual marketing. So that, that may, case study may just be a non-starter, honestly. I mean that's one of the painful things <laughs> about – changing your focus or specializing in something that's different than what you have the bulk of your experience with is that you do have to prune sometimes or rather very often you'll have to prune stuff that you sweated blood over or wow, you invested six years in this client relationship and it was doing something that's very different than what you want to be doing. 
you may just have to let that go. Or there may be an opportunity to talk about how there may be something about that project. I mean, you gave me kind of a summary description of it, which I appreciate, but there may be something kind of buried in the detail of that project that really does relate to the new focus. I would emphasize that. Uh, for the second case study, it was a client that started from zero, and you did do some digital marketing with them, and the business has grown substantially. And your concern seems to be it started from a baseline of zero. I don't think that's a problem. I mean, that's. I would just maybe offer the, the mild caveat that, I wouldn't say it this way, but it's the results not typical caveat. So you're saying, you know, look at this hockey stick growth, and oh, by the way, you'll notice that it starts at zero because this was a brand new company. And what I find with brand new companies is we can do that. But with existing companies, it's less of a, you know, it's, it, it doesn't usually work that way. The numbers are more of an optimization over an existing baseline, yada, yada. So what I'm saying is you just call out the differences. All of this becomes a little easier to do, I think, if you deliver the case study in the context of an actual real live sales conversation. So um, that's something to think about. And I, that second case study seems to me like something you could use if you just wrap it in enough context so that it's clear that you're not saying these are the results that any business would get, but these are the results that are particular to a business starting from nothing. I still think that could be a very strong case study. I am going to uh, stop this recording for a second. I've got to go to do a <laughs> I've got to look something up. It's something that Blair N said, and I want to I want to quote it reasonably accurately, and I think it's useful in this context. So I'm going to again stop this recording. I'll I'll stick them together. So there'll just be a brief pause, and then I'll be back. I'm back, Ryan. Okay. So Blair Enns has this terrific article about case studies called The Case for Case Studies. And if you just Google uh, Blair, B-L-A-I-R space Enns, E-N-N-S, and case studies, I think it'll be right up there in the top of the results. And I, I'm not gonna, certainly not going to read the whole article to you, but I'll just pull out one or two sentences. He says, case studies are among the most effective yet most misunderstood and misapplied business development tools available to marketing communication agencies. He says, case studies are almost always used too early in the sales process. They are closing tools that are best used at the end of the buying cycle. They should not be mailed out to prospects and they should never be posted on your website. I really agree. I really agree. Um, Another thing that Blair talks about, I don't have the exact reference at my fingertips. He talks about how when, when a, a prospective client is moving through the sales process, they uh, kind of, when they sign the dotted line, when they basically decide or when they agree to hire you, something happens emotionally that's sort of like a reversal and a sort of, it's not quite buyer's remorse, but a, a group of doubts 
crops up that wasn't there before. So if you kind of could graph their sort of vibe about working with you, uh, it, it's going to be sort of an increasing, you know, up and to the right graph until that point when they decide, okay, let's do this. And then right at that point, a lot of times, uh, not always, but, you know, he's sort of generalizing about how this tends to go. There's this uh, set of doubts that sets in, and um, all of a sudden you're, like, happy, not happy-go-lucky, but you're very sort of positive uh, person who is very, you know, up on working with you is all of a sudden wondering if they made the right decision. Yeah, it's actually right there in that that article. But basically, yeah, that, that same article that I, I'm going to link you to about case studies. Anyway, he talks about how there's a sort of sudden reversal where they're like, all positive, yeah, let's do this, this is great, this is going to be wonderful, uh, you're hired, you know, send over a uh, proposal or a contract or, you know, yada, yada, whatever that process looks like. And then right around that point is when you're, your buyer starts to go, oh, crap, am I making a mistake here? Is this really going to work out? And what Blair advocates, which I think is right on, is that's when you provide them with uh, the resources, the collateral, the tools to prove to themselves that they have not made a mistake. And those resources, the collateral, the tools, are basically tools of uh, – persuasion that are meant to assuage doubts. They're not meant to persuade someone to hire you. They're meant to speak to someone who has just hired you and who's now wondering if things are going to go sideways and they're going to, who knows, lose their job or um, or have to take the blame for making a mistake or a bad decision or what have you. It's meant to speak to that person in that mindset. Anyway. Not to draw this out too long. Just wanted to mention that in case it's helpful. Hope this helps, Ryan.